0: This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen.
1: Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your presence, and I thank You for Your Word. And Lord, today I ask you that you're going to speak to us and through us, and Lord, that we will learn these simple truths today that can make a profound difference in our lives. And as we stand here hand in hand, Lord, I thank you that you are going to speak into the lives of our families, our relationships, and Lord, we're going to become a beacon of hope to the others that we encounter, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, thank you. All right, Genesis chapter number two, beginning in verse number 15. The Lord God placed, that's verse 15, the man in the garden of Eden to tend, the, uh, tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, notice this, it's very important, the Lord God took out of, or out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Took a rib, that's important. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called, or she is named, woman. Because she was taken from man. A couple of things I want you to notice before we begin reading in chapter number 3. I want you to notice where God was found or took the perfect equal to Adam from. The joint heir of the garden from. Notice this. He was put into a deep sleep and from his side. From his side came the rib that was then formed into uh, the woman. Okay, it's very important. From his side. Why? Because God was looking for the perfect counterpart, companion, equal to man. And you don't pull an equal out from somebody's foot because then that person would be under them. You don't pull an equal from someone's head because that person would then be over them. You pull an equal from their side so that they might stand together in unity. Now, now I know the Bible gives us authority in the family and those kind of things, but bear with me for just a moment. If you're looking for an equal joint heir, it must be drawn from the side. Why is this important to us in our Christian faith? This is important to us in our Christian faith because we are the joint heirs with Christ. We are the one who stands with Christ. And what does the Bible say? That when Christ hung upon the cross and He died, they pierced His side and from his side flowed blood and water. The blood and water flowed from his side. Thus, we are made clean by the blood of the lamb. Watch that now. So it's what comes from his side that made us clean. It became a picture of the fact that Jesus was not looking for a subservient people, but he was looking for a people that he could make joint heirs with himself, that he could call those that he loves. It's important that we might be in equal relationship with each other. Very, very important. If you don't have a a balance in the quality of your relationship, that explains why your relationship's in trouble. Somebody might say, well, pastor, I'm not in a relationship. This sermon's not for me. Well, there's two things that can be accomplished for this. Either you can give good advice to someone else, or God's getting you ready for a good relationship. Now here, the other thing I want you to notice here, that it gets missed in Scripture, and then people always say, that who lived in the garden? Adam and... But no, that's not true. Adam and Eve did not live in the garden. Adam and woman lived in the garden. That's what it says. He named her woman. I, in all three services, when I say that phrase woman, women are like looking at me like that's not what the Bible says that it was Adam and Eve. It was Adam and woman. Why? Because the Bible says when he she came perfectly from him, he saw her as his equal. He was Ish, so he called her Ishah. In other words, he said, you are that that completes me. You are the one that I have been searching for that completes me. You are my equal. Her name was not Eve until after they got outside of the garden. But inside of the garden, he would have looked at her and said, woman, woman, where are you? And some of you women in this place, if your husband walked in and said, woman, where are you, would take his life. Let's just be honest about that. Why? Because the devil always likes to pervert great truth and make it look what is good look bad. What a man is saying when he looks at you and says, woman, whether he knows it or not, and whether he means this derogatory or not, what he is saying is you are my perfect equal. For you see, outside of the garden, her name was then became Eve. Why was her name Eve outside of the garden? The Bible says that once she conceived and bore a child, Adam then called her Eve. Why? Because he said, now you can do something I cannot do. See, in the garden, they were equals. Outside of the garden, she could do something he could not do. So the next time some jerk looks at you and tries to put you down and calls you woman, lady, just cross your arms and look at him and say, that's right, big boy, and so much more. Come on, amen. God's good. God's faithful. But listen to me. So what we have here are two equals who walk side by side, walking in this relationship, and all of a sudden things change here in chapter number three. We find that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. I'm reading to you from the word here uh, that God had made. One day he asked the woman, did you really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. So Ish, Adam, man, Isha, he's talking to the, the one of the equal parts of this. They're both present. God's, uh, she said, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. At some point, the man had communicated this to the woman. And the enemy says, you won't die. There he goes, perverting truth again. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. You will be godly, knowing both good and evil." The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom. See, the the, the first sin wasn't a lustful type sin. It wasn't even a hunger type sin. What she thought was, I can eat that and be godly. She was looking for a quick fix to make her like God. And church is not a quick fix to make you like God. Because that puts you in rebellion and not in the right place. Holiness in your life is what helps you grow into the righteousness to begin to resemble God. Okay, I was waiting on that one. All right. So she took the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some, notice this, to her husband who was with her. He's there watching the whole thing, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together. And the Jewish people believed that the reason they sewed fig leaves together was because they believed that that fruit was the fig, okay? And then they sewed the leaves together to cover themselves. So here's our summary really briefly. God creates man. Man is lonely. God searches for a perfect equal to man and finally creates woman. Man is smitten from first sight. Everything is going great until all of a sudden the woman fails. She makes a mistake. And it's right out for the whole world to see. And Adam is watching as his wife fails. So what does Adam do? He takes the fruit, and now sin has changed their relationship forever. They now have had sin enter their lives. It's changed their relationship, their relationship with God. As a matter of fact, they would even then shift the relationship to where man would become superior uh, in the curse and that would man would be stronger in that way. And so it shifted the relationship. And see, that's the way that sin wants you to make you feel. It wants to make your relationship out of, out of unity and it wants to make you feel like one is greater than the other when the reality is God called us to walk together. Preaching truth now. So in studying this week, I had the strangest thought. I kept asking myself, and I was preparing a message from Isaiah, and I kept coming back to this truth. Why did Adam take the fruit? Why did Adam eat the fruit? Could Adam not have stepped up and been the man? I mean, think about it for a moment. Should he not have fought the snake to keep him away? What would have happened if he had chosen his relationship with God over his relationship with his spouse? Should he have done that? I think the answer to those questions is yes. He should have been the man. He should have fought the snake away. He should have chosen God even above his spouse. All those answers are yes. But instead, Adam took the fruit. Why? Why did Adam do this? Here's what began to stir in my heart. I don't know that this side of heaven will have a definitive answer for this, but this is what God put in my heart this week. Could it have been because he knew what life was like without her and he was not willing to go back? That suddenly as he looked at her, he has to weigh out a breakup. He's looking at her and he has to decide, is your failure so great that I, I now need to separate from you and I need to leave you and I need to walk away from you. And, and in doing that, he has to look at life before she came into his life. And at some point, he's struggling because he says, I know how you've changed my life. I know how deeply I love you. I know how much you mean. And I never want to go back to the way it used to be. So he has to weigh out a breakup. And when your spouse fails you, You weigh out a breakup. It's Kind of funny last service. I said that, that you weighed out a breakup too many times and one person in the whole room chuckled and their spouse looked at them like, what? But the truth is, we all weigh out breakups. Is it worth it to stay in this relationship? Is it worth it to stay in this situation? Is it worth it to try to overcome their failures and their struggles? And so when we're weighing out the, ba- the breakup, we have to ask, was life easier without them? Would life be better without them? Can I forgive them? So where do we find an answer to these questions when we weigh out a breakup? Well, the answer is simple. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number 7. The famous love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 7. There are some very specific words here. It always protects. Love always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Notice this. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Look at those words there. Help me with this. It what? Always protects. It what? Always trusts. What? Always hopes. What? Always perseveres. Help me with the last absolute term. This very absolute term. Love what? Never fails. Love has some absolutes that are attached to it. They're not iffy. Well, I think I might love you. No, you love them or not. You don't have to like them, but you love them or not. And so there's some absolutes about love. And so to understand what our answer should be, if we've been weighing out a breakup, then what we need to really look at is here, we need to look at some truths, what love really is. Looking at love, let's look at that very last part of there, love never fails. Okay? And let's look at that word that love absolutely never fails. So if love never fails, the word here in the Greek that is used for fail is ekpipto. Ek always means from. When something comes from it, you go, it's ek, ek, pipto, okay? And pipto means to fall. So when I would say that 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 you came from your home this morning, I would say that ek, that from your home you came, okay? That from and falling. So from falling, we have a great truth here. Pipto means to fail. So that ek, pipto means to fall from love. Now, the truth is, according to this passage, love, ek pipto, it never falls from you. That once you love someone, it doesn't have the ability to fall from them. Which makes sense, because Adam is standing here in this moment, and he's overwhelmed with the love that he has for her, the love that he has for God. He doesn't know what to do. Adam has made the declaration, you are now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What was once two has now become... One And to pipto in that moment means that you would literally have to tear two back into one. And he says that true love does not have the ability to tear them apart. I mean, listen to me. It doesn't mean you don't want to tear them apart. It doesn't mean right that moment it wouldn't be easier if you were torn apart. But love does not have the ability to fall from them, to fall off of them when you truly love them. Why is this important? Because as Adam stands here at this moment, he's blinded by love. And he realizes, I keep call, I keep falling for you. I can't fall away from you. And this is beautiful. Why? Because marriage is a revelation of God's love for us. Marriage is a revelation of who God is in our lives. God is married to the backslider, Scripture says. God pursues the sinner. He loves his children. He cares for us. And God does in all of his love, he has no ability to, listen to me, to fall from love with us. Ex pipto. God does not have the ability. It is impossible for God to fall away from us in in his love. Most of us, we believe that distorted truth, that distorted lie that says, I've blown it. God can't love me anymore. I've been to the altar and i messed up again. But what happened in the garden that Pastor Danny was talking about? God came into the garden knowing they had failed, but yet he still kept coming. He walked among the garden knowing they still needed him. He found them in their failures. He found them in their struggles. And what did he do? He clothed them and he cared for them and he put them in a safer place. Why? Because love doesn't run away from you when you fall. Love runs to you and puts you in a safer place and helps you overcome. And that's what love is. And you have to make up your mind. I can just see some of you in a fight now. You're going to start whispering. They're going to go, what did you say? And you're going to go, ex Come on. I just keep seeing pepto-bismol when I say that. I don't know why ex-pipto, I I may not like you, but I'm stuck to you like glue. That's what I always tell Christina when she threatens something in our lives. She'd be like, I wouldn't put up with that. I'd say, well, wait long enough for me to pack my bags because I'm going with you, baby. Come on now, amen. You see, it's important to understand that love has some absolutes. You see, love always protects. It blew my mind this week, the response to last Sunday's sermon. Particularly that line that said, you are protected. Because most of us feel like those we love probably didn't protect us right. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to share a moment like that with you. I'll never forget this moment. Never in my life will I ever forget this moment. It's not because of begrudgedness. I I just learned so much in this moment. I remember a time in my life that I felt like my my father didn't protect me. My dad, now looking back, had to be at the end of his rope. He, he, He was trying to juggle things he couldn't juggle and was in a situation he didn't know how to survive. I'll never forget this. Never forget this. I remember... Someone who was, was, was hateful and, and full of bitterness. And, and honestly, I had not wrong. They, they went to my father and they said, you know, your son, uh, he was doing ministry. He upset me this way. And, 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 and so my dad, as I was a young minister, my dad made me stand in a public place and they attacked me in front of everybody watching. Oh, I kept looking at my father like, are you going to make me stand here and take this because I'm about to cast the demon out of this woman? And he gave me that look like, don't you move. And I realized something. Later now in life, what I felt unprotected in, my dad was teaching me because he was only going to let it go so far. But he was teaching me things I needed to learn about character in my own life. That sometimes people may not agree with what you've done. But this is always what he said. They may not agree with what you've done. But you have to weigh the motives of what you did. And if you had the right motives, then you stand your ground. You don't hurt people. You love them. And sometimes they'll lash out because hurting people hurt people. And what my dad was teaching me in that moment was a painful revelation that I felt like he failed in as a parent. I mean, I really did. I, and for many years, until I saw that, that in my own children I had to say, sometimes I've got to let them take a blow so that I can help them learn how to respond. You see, it's not that love uh, doesn't make me feel protected. True love, it's not about what I receive. The fact that love always protects me, it's really about what I do. It's not about how you make me feel. It's about what I do for you. It's not about receiving. It's about giving. So if you really love somebody, even if you feel like they're the greatest wounders in your life, you still keep fighting for them and you still protect them. Can I say it this way? And I didn't say this in any other service. It might be this. They might be the lowest, dirtiest dog you know, and you'll tell them, but nobody else better tell them. Because love always protects. I don't know who God's talking to, but he's talking to somebody. You see, when you find yourself not knowing how to be absolute in love, here's what you need. Are you ready for this? You need a vision for your marriage. You need a vision of where your marriage is headed. Because a marriage cannot thrive when you are waiting for your spouse to fail you think that's crazy? I've had a lot of people sit in my office and say, I knew they were going to do this. I was just waiting for them. And now I'm justified in divorcing them. And I said, oh, there's your problem. You've been setting them up for failure for far too long. Love doesn't wait for somebody to fail. Love does everything you can to keep them from failing. And you've got to have a vision of a better place. And a vision is what one of the other statements here about love is, love always hopes. That means that you have a hope for something better. It doesn't mean that you're like, well, they're never going to change. No, it means that you start seeing them in a better place. So I guess my question is, what are you hoping for in your relationships? Are you hoping for a way out? Their failure so you can be justified? That's not what true love is. True love hopes for a better place. That hope is rooted in a vision of what your future together looks like. Now, literally, in our first service today, and if you don't understand anything about the 815 service, our average age in that 815 service is upper 70s at some point. And when I made this comment, I felt really kind of silly. If you need a vision, here's what you need to get a vision of your relationship. Are you ready for this? You need to get a vision of growing old together. And I, so I'm standing in front of our 70 and 80-year-olds, and I said, you need to see yourself old together. And they just kind of looked at each other. And then you know what happened? They blushed and smiled at each other. Can I tell you, I don't know how many we have still holding hands in this service. We had some of them sitting right over there. They'd been married 50 years. They held hands the whole stinking service because I dared them to hold on. I said, how long has it been since you held hands this long? He said, 50 years. (laughs) And then smiled at me. Come on now, amen. I don't care how long. He said, you need a vision of what the future looks like for your marriage. I didn't say this in any other service, but I feel God directing this service. This may be why we're having this message. If you spend too much time thinking about what your life would be like if they were out of it, I'm talking to you. You need to get a vision for what it's like to grow old together. I have that vision of this lovely lady right here. I can see her in my mind, just as beautiful, but 95. (laughs) I can see it in my mind. You know what I also see? Listen, we've been married, as of last week, 28 years, and she just gets prettier and prettier. I told her, I said, if you keep getting better and better, I said, I'm just going to be following you all around the nursing home. (laughs) But listen to me. She grows prettier and prettier to me. But this is the vision I have. Some of you are going to laugh and say, let me finish the statement. I have a vision of her burial. Her death. Doesn't that sound romantic? Because I tell her all the time, I'm going to bury you. Do you know why I tell her I'm going to bury her? Because I see her in my mind at 95, and I'm just, you know, as old. I'm only eight months older than her. and I see her in my mind at 95, and I think about the life that we've lived, and I've wanted every day of my life, as far as I can remember, it seems like. She walked into primary Sunday school class, eight years old, I fell head over heels in love with her. And it seems like my whole life... All I've ever wanted to do is make sure she had what she needed. So the vision I have for our future is us old and then me burying her because I never want her to have to do that to me. And so what do I need to do to keep going when I don't even like the attitude she's giving me Do you think I, she, look, every time she gets in the pulpit, she throws me under the bus. I'm dragging her in the bus right now. <laughs> that red hair comes naturally there. <laughs> and I'm trying to close. Listen to me. But I have this vision that I can look to. Am I making sense to anybody? I keep looking ahead. And I'm think about even though now may not be the favorite moment that we're having in our relationship there's too much invested and there's too much joy ahead to lose sight of the love that holds us together You see you're either going to live in a vision or you're going to live in a fairy tale Vision mean, The vision means the ability to think about or plan for the future with wisdom. Okay, It means I know who we are and I know what we're like, but I know where we can go. A fairy tale is a children's story about imaginary beings and lands. In other words, I can either live in the reality of where we are and where I know we can get, or I can keep dreaming for something that I'm never going to find, no matter how many relationships I've jumped to. So the best thing to do is to remember, love never gives up. Love always hopes. And here's the last one, love always perseveres. Love always perseveres. What that means is I don't quit no matter how bad things get. That means when everybody else jumps ship, we're still together. You're still taking hands. Now there's a real important reason I told you to take each other's hands early on. If you, if you wouldn't mind, those of you that are couples, whether you're engaged or married or are thinking about—this is not a proposal, but thinking about long-term relationship—reach over and take each other's hand. Several years ago, it's important we started with the holding of hands because love always perseveres because there's going to be times that the world's trying to rip you apart, but when you take that hand, you're coming into agreement with each other. And several years ago, Ron Ryan stood in this pulpit and he made this statement. He said, every day I take my wife by the hands and I bless her. And I thought, that's impossible. I don't see my wife every day. And then I realized that that was not an excuse for the opportunities I did have. And so I said, okay, God. And there's a lot of mornings I like to get up and get about an hour and a half, two hours in prayer for you guys and to be seeking God for the messages for this church and, and, and honoring God. But I love it when I come out and she's waiting for me there. And I'll meet her and we'll join hands together. And as we join hands together, we begin to pray for each other. And it's not some fancy prayer. It's not some King James prayer. It's a simple prayer. And what we're going through, some decisions in our lives, and we're praying for each other. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is that, that, that love perseveres. And the way that love makes it, is when you get a better vision of where you're headed, stop thinking about escape routes and start thinking about finish lines. And crossing it hand in hand. And when you pray for each other, take hands with each other. And look, I know some of you are going, Pastor, I'm just afraid to do that. First off, if your spouse has the nerve to actually take your hand, don't you dare have the nerve to laugh if they say something funny. And even if you don't don't say, what do you mean by that? You just listen. And then you pray back to God for them. It could go just as simple as this. Thank you, God. And though we may not be agreeing right now in our life, we do agree that you're the best thing that ever happened to us. And we want to know you more so we can learn to love each other more. That simple. Right there. Pastor Don, what do you want to accomplish from this passage? One, if you feel like you've run God away from you, you haven't. Two, meet your spouse in a godly place. Take their hand. And let's vanquish the spirit of divorce from our community. Let me pray for you now. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence and I thank you for your spirit. And I ask you now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that Lord, we will become more confident as some are taking the hands of their spouse yet even now and more confident in knowing you brought this person into our lives. And Lord, we have agreed together we are agreeing together. Lord, I thank you for every wall that keeps people from holding hands right now to begin to fall in the name of Jesus Christ. And we agree together that together we will love each other and we will love God until the finish line. In Jesus' name, amen. And how many know we serve a good God?